Chapter 6 of An Earthman on Venus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Charles Conover. Chapter 6 Radio Plays Its Part. I have already told you how dismayed I was at the horror displayed by the pretty Cupian when she was led into my presence. It is neither flattering nor reassuring to have a lady register fear and disgust upon seeing you for the first time. It is even worse if the lady happens to be the most divinely beautiful creature you have ever seen, and still more unbearable if she happens to furnish the one human touch on an entire planet. Yet, was she to be blamed? I was heavily bearded, whereas Melcupians, so Dago said, wore their hair on the top half of their heads only. I had particularly mushroomy growths, my ears, on the sides of my face. I had one finger too few on each hand and one toe too few on each foot, and I was devoid of antennae. Altogether, I must have looked like a strange and ferocious wild beast, all the more repulsive because of its resemblance to a Cupian being. And if I had then known what I do now as to the reason why she had been brought to my quarters, I should have been even more sympathetic with her viewpoint. But, although her horror was entirely justified, this fact in no way mitigated my chagrin. With great care I drafted a letter of apology which I sent to her by Dago, only to have her return it unopened with the statement that Cupian ladies had nothing to do with the lower beasts. Oh, if I could only talk, if she could only hear my words, I felt sure that I could break down her hostility. How did these creatures communicate anyhow? They undoubtedly had some means— for had I not seen Dago halt Satan when the latter had been about to kill me? And had I not seen Dago place on paper the questions which the four professors had wished to ask me? And then I remembered the speculations of some earth scientist, which had been running in the newspapers shortly before my departure from that sphere. The opinion had been expressed that insects communicate by very short-length radio waves. I had made a note to investigate this subject later, but at that time I had been too engrossed with my machine for the transmission of matter to be able to give the question of insect speech more than a mere passing thought. It had not crossed my mind again until, immediately after my sad meeting with the beautiful Cupian, I was racking my brains for some means of talking with her. Radio! The very thing! How strange that I, a radio engineer, whose life was the capture and subjugation of the Hertzian wave, should have missed the solution for so long. The solution certainly was plausible, if fireflies can produce a 95% efficient light, and if electric eels can generate a current sufficient to kill a horse, why should not an insect be able to send out and receive radio messages over short distances? If animals can create light and electricity in their bodies, why can they not create radios? Perhaps Dago could enlighten me. Dago, wrote I, only I called him by his number, 334-2-18, 
instead of doggo. Can Antmen and Cupians communicate in any way other than writing? Of course they can, he replied. They use their antennae to talk and to hear, or to send and receive. I don't know just which way to translate the words which he used, but I caught his meaning. In my world, I wrote, people send with their mouths and receive with their ears. Let me show you how. So speaking a few words aloud, I wrote on my pad, that constitutes our kind of sending. But he shook his head, for he had not received a single word. He then sent, and of course this time it was I who failed to receive. But at least we had made a beginning in interplanetary communication, for we had each tried to communicate. Was it not strange that all this time— while I had been accusing the inhabitants of this planet of deafness and dumbness, they had been making the same accusation against me. At this moment, the electric lights went on, and they gave me an inspiration. Pointing at them, I wrote, Where are those things made? Is there a department at the university devoted to that subject? He answered, There is a department of electricity at Munai with an electrical factory attached to the department. That, I said, was my line of work on Earth. Do you suppose that you could take me to Munai? If you could, I believe that I can construct electrical antennae which will turn your kind of message into my kind, and vice versa, thus enabling us actually to talk together. I doubt very much, he replied whether anything you do will ever enable you to talk or to hear, for you have no antennae. Of course, no one can either talk or hear without antennae, but there will certainly be no harm in giving you a chance to try. So a petition was drawn up and signed by Dago and me, humbly begging the Council of Twelve to assent to my transfer. In due course of time, the Professor of Anatomy— of the four professors who had so often examined me, visited us again, bringing with him a new ant-man, the Professor of Electricity. They were both very skeptical of my theories, but were glad to assist in obtaining my transfer, as that would give them better facilities for studying me, and also an opportunity to exhibit me to the students. There seemed to be some doubt, however, as to the advisability of taking me away from the beautiful girl. For the reason of this I could not guess at the time, as I was sure that the further away I was, the better it would certainly suit her. Before the two ant professors left, I wrote for them the still unanswered question, What conclusions have been reached as to the sort of animal I am? They replied, the majority opinion is that you must have come from some other continent overseas. The presence of the boiling ocean, which entirely surrounds continental poros, has prevented us Perovians from ever exploring the rest of our world, and even the airplanes do not dare penetrate the steam clouds which overhang the sea. But there is a tradition that a strange race, something like the Cupians, live beyond the waves. You must be one of that race, since it is inconceivable that you could have come from another planet. A minority, however, are of the opinion 
that passage across the boiling sea is just as absurd, no more and no less, than a trip through interplanetary space, and this minority are inclined to give credence to the theory that you come from Minos, the planet next further from the sun. In other words, the Earth. All this conversation was in writing, of course, and was very slow and tedious. From their statements, I gathered that the professor of anatomy was one of the minority, so I gave him some evidence to support his point of view. Things weigh more where I come from, wrote I, and in my world a year consists of 265 days. This was, of course, in duodecimal notation. The 265 in Peruvian notation means 2 times 144 plus 6 times 12 plus 5, which equals 365 in earth notation. Because of the 12 fingers, the Cupians count in 12s, and the Formians have adopted the same system. My statements about the earth impressed him greatly, and confirmed his belief that I was a Minorian. Then the professors withdrew after promising to assist in trying to obtain my transfer. While waiting for the decision of the Council of Twelve, time would have hung heavy on my hands if Dago had not thoughtfully procured for me a book entitled Electricity for the Newly Hatched. Of course, I needed no instruction in elementary electricity, nor even in advanced electricity. But I did need an introduction to the technical terms and electrical symbols of the ant language, and this the book gave me. The council were a long time in deciding, for many important matters were pending, and my petition had to wait its regular turn. At last, however, Dago brought me the joyful news that my transfer to the University of Munai had been approved and that he was to be permitted to accompany me. I saw the beautiful girl only once more before my departure. She came to my courtyard to pick flowers, as she had regularly done before the fatal day of our meeting. But this time she noticed my presence at the window and hastily left the garden with her head tossed high and a disdainful sneer on her lips. This made me more determined than ever to make good in my new venture. The day of departure finally arrived, and Dago and I prepared to make the trip. I took Tabby, while Dago took a strange animal of a sort I had never seen before. I had never known that Dago had a pet, but have since learned that an excess of pets is one of the worst vices of the Formians. In fact, one of their professors, who has devoted his life to the subject, reports that the Formians possess some 1,500 species of domesticated animals, many of which do not exist at all in a wild state, and most of which have absolutely no practical use. Dago's little beast was a math lab, closely resembling a rabbit in size and appearance, except that it had antennae instead of ears, and had brick-red fur. These creatures are very docile and affectionate, but breed rapidly, and thus are not so expensive nor so much esteemed as some of the rarer varieties of beetles, such as tabby. A closely related animal, 
slightly larger, black in color, and not so tame, is kept for its flesh and also for its eggs, which are a staple article of Peruvian diet. In their wild state, both species are preyed upon by a fierce carnivore named the Woofus, so that their great fecundity is all that saves them from absolute extinction. Moon Eye lies about 100 stads east of Watusa, the city where I had been residing. The journey was made in a Kirkul, a two-wheeled automobile whose balance is maintained by a pair of rapidly rotating gyroscopes driven by the same motor which propels the vehicle. The fuel, as I later learned, is a synthetic liquid resembling alcohol and supposed to be extremely poisonous. There were no seats, for ant-men do not sit, but a chair for me had thoughtfully been added to the equipment. The chauffeur, or Kirko, as they call him, wore goggles very much like those used on the earth, and similar pairs were provided for Dago and me. The trip was easily and pleasantly made in about one Peruvian hour. The way lay through rolling fields, where grazed herds of green cows guarded by huge spiders, and through fragrant woods, where I saw many strange animals, taken unawares by the swift approach of our Kirkhole. Many questions were on the tip of my pencil, but conversation was difficult, for the motion of the Kirkhole jiggled my pad. At Munai there was a large crowd of ant-men awaiting our arrival and mingled with them were many Cupians, the first that I had seen other than the girl at Watusa. They were a handsome race, and I began to wonder what chance I could possibly have in competition with them as an aspirant for the hand of one of their women, even if I were to shave, grow wings and antennae, and cut off my ears. Their complexions ranged from pink and white to tan, and their hair, sometimes close and sometimes curly, ran through all the colors of human hair. The ant professor of electricity met us at the city gate and introduced me to the crowd with a few inaudible remarks, which were received in silence. Then he showed me to my quarters, where I had a chance to wash up, put on a clean toga, and take a much-needed rest. That evening a dinner was given in my honor at a large banquet hall. At the head table stood the president of the Ant University, the committee of four ant-men who had examined me so often, the ant professor of electricity, a visiting Cupian professor, Dago, and myself. At the other tables stood other and lesser members of the faculty and students, both Cupian and Formian. I was the signature of all eyes, and, so Dago informed me in writing, the subject of most of the speeches. I had to take his word for it that there were speeches, for, so far as I could tell, not a word was said. I could not even watch the speaker rise and give his talk, for all were already standing. Altogether it was a very dull occasion for me, in spite of my being the lion of the evening. Besides, I was eager to be done with the preliminaries and get busy with my real work. The food was plenteous and varied. Among the dishes, which I remember, were a highly seasoned stew of the red lobster-like parasite which afflicts the aphids, minced wild mathlab with mathlab egg sauce, 
and something resembling mushrooms, only not so rich. Several of the Cupian maidens in the audience made eyes at me. Not that they thought me prepossessing with my big black beard, but rather in much the same spirit that would introduce an earth maiden to flirt with a gorilla in a cage, just to see what effect it would have on the beast. It had absolutely no effect on me, for the picture of the girl at Watusa was ever present in my mind. So I was glad when the banquet was over and I could go to my room and my bed and pleasant dreams in which a Cupian damsel and I walked hand in hand through a rosette future. No guard was placed over me at Moon Eye, but Dago shared my room. The next morning I was introduced into the laboratory. The critical point of my career had arrived. Was I to succeed and become a nine days wonder and perhaps distinguish myself sufficiently to find favor in the eyes of the beautiful girl at Watusa? Or was I to fail and return discredited? Heaven only knew, but time would tell. The ant superintendent of the laboratory assigned me a bench, a kit of tools, and two Cupian slaves as assistants. He was most deferential and did all that he could to help me, but my handicaps were many. I was not versed in their electrical machinery. I was unaccustomed to their tools, which looked for all the world as though they had been copied from the monstrosities which appear weekly in the official gazette of the United States Patent Office. All my conversations with either supervisors or subordinates had to be carried on in writing, in a strange language which I had only just recently and just barely mastered. But, worst of all, most of my time had to be devoted to appearing before classes as a horrible example of what nature can do in an off moment to being examined, both physically and in writing, by committees of scientists, to entertainments staged in my honor, and sightseeing about the city. My hosts were determined to do everything in their power to make me enjoy my visit, when, if they had but known it, my only desire was to devote myself to my self-appointed task, so that I could speedily return to Watusa, which held all that was dear to me on this planet. From time to time I would inquire about her of Dago, and he would assure me that she was due to stay indefinitely at Watusa, and would certainly be there upon my return. In spite of vexatious interruptions, my work gradually progressed. I found that although all electric current on Poros is delivered from dynamos of a multicellenoidal oscillating type, and although batteries are unknown, yet the Porovians do possess efficient storage batteries, in which a large amount of current can be stored in a very small space. These I used for my A batteries. For my B and C batteries, I constructed dry cells, to the amazement of my associates, who could not figure out where the current came from. Even though my main experiment failed, this feat of plucking electricity out of nowhere, as it were, would make my fame secure on Poros. The sightseeing trips included the various factories, each under the control of the appropriate university department. 
for the Formians are well skilled in all the arts, although the fine work has to be done by Cupian slaves, whose fingers are more efficient than the claws of the ant-men. Only practical arts are employed in Formia, although the Cupians go in for painting, sculpture, architecture, etc. I slung the three batteries on a belt about my waist. This belt also carried a tube and a tuning apparatus of a particularly sensitive type which I had designed on Earth and for which I now have a United States patent pending unless my patent attorneys have abandoned it through want of word from me. I now adapted this design to an unusually short wavelength in order to comply with what I remembered to be the speculations of Earth scientists on the method of insect communication. My tubes were of the instructo type invented by me on Earth, or they never could have withstood my subsequent adventures. From a skull cap, I suspended two earphones and a microphone, and on top of the cap, I mounted a small pancake coil. The microphone gave me more trouble than any other part of the set, as carbon of the exact sort required seemed hard to get on Poros. But finally, after testing several hundred other materials, I hit upon a very common light silvery metal, which did just as well. This metal I am unable to identify, but I think that it is one of the platinum group, more probably osmium. I spent four months of Earth time in the laboratories of Munai, growing more and more homesick for Waatusa. If it had not been for the counseling assurances of the faithful Dago, I do not think that I could have stood it, so many were the interruptions to my work. Of all the diversions offered me, only one interested me at all, and that was the zoo, or girl, i.e. animal place, as they termed it, and the most amusing part of the girl was the monkey house. Of course, there are no monkeys on Poros, but I refer to this place as a monkey house because that is what it would correspond to on Earth. Here were kept specimens of all the wild species of ant known on the planet. Except in size and color, I could discover no features which would distinguish any of them from the ant-men. One day, seeing my interest, Dago wrote down for me, some of the species are very intelligent, so much so that they were formerly bred in large quantities for slaves before the Treaty of Munai supplied Formia with a superior substitute. Did it ever occur to anyone, I asked, that these creatures might be either immature or degenerate Formians? He was horrified. These wild ants he explained, are the basis of one of the great intellectual disputes of this planet, namely, as to whether or not we are merely a superior species of ants, or whether we are an entirely distinct type of being specially created and not a part of the animal kingdom at all. Most of the university men hold that we are related to these brutes, and this is likewise the more modern view. But fortunately there is an influential body of opinion, high in the politics of this country, 
which considers that such a view is too degrading to admit of acceptance, and accordingly the Council of Twelve is even now seriously considering a law intended to prohibit the teaching of this dangerous doctrine. How about the Cupians? I asked. Have they any such evolutionary problems? No, he wrote. Fortunately for them, they have no problem of evolution, for they are the only non-egg-laying creatures on Poros, and so do not regard themselves even as mammals. Whereat I wondered to myself whether it was not probable that it was this distinctiveness of the Cupians which had inspired the jealous Formians to deny their own obvious kinship to the ants. In addition to the Gurul, I frequently visited the stuffed specimens in the museum of their department of biology. The absence of any birds, either here or at the Gurul, perplexed me until I reflected that birds are merely a specialized form of flying lizards on my own earth, and that their occurrence, even on earth, was merely a not-to-have-been-expected accident. Creatures similar to pterodactyls were among the extinct species on exhibit at Munai, but birds had never been known on Poros, although I could have sworn to having seen some sort of small bird flitting in tandem pairs in the woods on my second day on the planet. But to get back to radio. By the way, that is how I always felt during my trips to the Gurul and my other diversions. Oh, to get back to radio! One of the Cupian slaves who was assisting me turned out to be Prince Toron, second nephew of King Q-12. Toron's older brother, Uri, was the crown prince, as the king was a widower and childless, except for a daughter, Leela. Toron's term of slavery was nearly completed, and he was anxious to return to Cupia, where a day's work was only two parths, or Peruvian hours, instead of the five as prevailed here. Think of the degradation of having a prince of the royal house of Cupia held as a slave in the factories of an alien race. Think of the further degradation involved in the fact that no one saw anything improper in the situation. They even celebrated annually as Peace Day the anniversary of the treaty which had imposed this indignity upon them. Toron, I wrote one day, would not war be infinitely better than such a peace? Yes, he admitted. There is some sentiment among the younger men of my country against the rule of the Ant-Men, but the Ant-Men are all-powerful and promptly suppress treason with an iron hand, so I am afraid that our cause is hopeless. As the time for the completion of my experiment drew near, I thought of my massive beard, and I decided that it must be removed before I again faced the beautiful girl at Watusa. Also, my hair needed attention. Cupian hair does not have to be cut and does not grow at all on the face, which must be a great convenience to them. With the aid of Toron and a pair of wire clippers, I managed to trim my hair to a respectable state, leaving long locks, however, to obscure my ears. I also clipped my beard as close as possible, and then finished the job with a sharp laboratory knife of the sort of copper 
commonly but erroneously called tempered on earth and some lubricating grease and behold with a minor exception of wings fingers toes and antennae i was as presentable appearing a cupian as any one would wish to see thereafter i kept the knife and shaved daily later making myself real soap for the purpose the change in my appearance resulted in more delay for i was immediately exhibited to all the classes again and was forced to write a long essay on haircuts and shaving as practiced upon my own planet minos interest in me had lagged somewhat and i had been given more time with my work but now interest revived again and interrupted me considerably nevertheless my apparatus was at last completed and i was ready for the test the next day my work was to be inspected by a committee of ant scientists so with trembling fingers i adjusted the controls and bade toron speak to me the result was silence end of chapter 6